1: hair smoke flying through the air it's the way I
0: feel. All right everybody. it is time for not just blowing smoke coming at you live from Twin Smoke Shops studio headquarters in Hooksett, New Hampshire. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you're watching us on Facebook or YouTube if you're listening after the fact. Whether that be on uh, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever else you might be finding this podcast, make sure you hit that subscribe button so that you don't ever miss a thing. I'm Pastor Padrone, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Shell, Pat, and Dave. And we have a whole slew of guests here tonight, people. We've got Steve Saka from Dunbarton Tobacco Trust. We have Jeremy Reeves, who's the head blender, master blender at Cornell & Deal. We have Debris. Back with us from the 724 Lounge and Kaz Walters from LDG Debris Official Cigar and Pipe Lighter.
2: <laughs>
0: Kaz will not be talking tonight. He will simply be lighting her accoutrements as she needs it. Um, this is a very special episode. It's our third anniversary Yay! today. We've done uh, this is our 159th consecutive weekly episode. Wow. Here at Not Just Blown, away. we've never missed a week. Uh, that may not uh, make a big difference in people's lives, but we can say we've done it. I don't know if
3: he has a Last Supper field to me, this table <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: that, that, would, that would put Shell in the role of Jesus.
2: <laughs> All black praise
0: you, Oh, said he was black. I buy it. <laughs> All praise Oh, God, gosh. So uh, this is actually an episode that I've been uh, waiting for for a long time. And... Um, I've been planning on having uh, Steve and Jeremy on the show together, uh, specifically to talk about this cigar, the Stillwell Star. This is, there are four different uh, versions of this. This is the Navy, the uh, 1059 that we're all, or 1056. 1056. 1056 that we're all smoking tonight. What, what you want to tell us a little bit about what's in the cigar, Steve? Yeah,
3: I think it's very similar to the pipe tobacco we're going to smoke tonight. Yeah, it's uh, it's a Navy blend. So I mean, it's centered around that kind of quintessential, kind of balance of red and golden Virginias with yeah. a, a bit of Oriental and some Latakia, and then of course, uh, cased with a touch of rum, right? So naval I mean, rations. Naval, naval rations, rations, right? We, we call it that because we just want to. Uh, you know, it's funny. You just you gotta be You're careful having a little these fun days. With it, right? No, I'm actually just trying to be careful because mm. you know, so much of look, we seem to be out of the FDA problems at the moment. Mm-hmm. But it also doesn't mean that you wanna put things on packages that could potentially be a problem. You know, a lot of what the FDA is concerned with is not actually what the product is, but how you represent the product. Right. right? Mm. So by saying naval rations, that allows you to have a, a different perspective on And the other thing too is because of the way the tobacco and Jeremy will correct me if I'm wrong on this, but, but my understanding is that really the rum itself is pretty much flashed off the product. Oh, sure. So yeah. it's much like when you're cooking. Yeah, yep. you That's right. know what I mean. You you end up with the essence mm-hmm. of the flavor of the spirit, but you don't actually end up with the spirit. Yeah. And so it's really
0: you could be uh, in recovery and have the cigar.
3: Yes, I'm you can sure. be in recovery and have this cigar.
4: <laughs> it also it also kind of helps to meld flavors a little bit. Alcohol, you know is a great solvent so it mm. can soak through all the tobaccos in your blend
0: uh it and, helps and...
3: meld me I agree <laughs> <laughs>
0: so that leads right to the, the the natural first question that's what's what's the story behind this cigar what made you decide Steve to pursue something like this
3: so look I I've always been a pipe smoker for many many years in fact I probably smoked more pipe when I was younger than I smoked cigars because Um, As any pipe smoker knows, it's more economical, Mm -hmm. you know, on a per bowl basis versus a per cigar basis. And I mean, for me though, cigars are my, are what I prefer over pipes, but I've never not been a pipe smoker. Right. But over the years is what would end up happening is I would occasionally, out of laziness, just take some of my favorite pipe blends and add them into existing cigar blends just Mm -hmm. to smoke for myself. And it just seemed like an interesting, unique idea that really wasn't being executed. Um, People have done this before, but they've never done it at kind of the Dunbarton level. Mm -hmm. And uh, so when the opportunity came up that I could work with Jeremy at Cornell and Deal and use his tobaccos, rather than me buying some sort of bulk tobacco off the shelf and just incorporating it in, it became a much more interesting project for me. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's something different too. You know, it's very... For good or for bad, it's undone Barton, like right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think a lot of people are kind of like, they kind of <laughs> scratch their head. It isn't, it isn't a quintessential Steve Saka, Dunbarton-style cigar, but it really kind of is because it's something that I, everything that's Dunbarton is stuff that I do for myself, things right. that I like. Right, right. And this is something that I enjoy. Now, I will say this. I tried to make four base ligas that were centered around four kind of cornerstone types of pipe tobacco genres Mm -hmm. and honestly um i probably wouldn't do that if i was just making it for myself right so i was trying to make a a much more wider expression but for me i definitely have a favorite amongst the four but the one that i like the best is actually arguably the least selling one Mm -hmm. it's the bayou number 32 Mm -hmm. is the one that i tend to favor the most Mm. um so but I think it's, uh, I think it's just, a, it's different, it's unique. It's a, it's a different way of looking at cigars and it gives you an experience that's not similar to any other experience that's on the shelf. Now, whether that's a good experience or a bad experience, well, that's up to the individual consumer to decide. Um, but what we have been noticing with most of the people, it tends to be something they either, I tried it and it really wasn't for me, or, wow, I have tried that, and wow, that's really perfect for me. Sure. And it ends up being very popular with a certain group. But I think that's true with all cigars. Um, look, You make Brulee, and Brulee is super popular with the guys that like mild, creamy, and sweet.
2: Mm-hmm. And
3: you make cigars like uh, Miki Reader Tricky Traka, and that's for the guys that like fuller body, broadleaf, heavy, spicy style profiles. You know, neither one of those cigars is perfect right but they're perfect for some particular consumer or for some particular experience and i think that's the case with still well star Two. it's it's something that's different it's a unique experience and it gives me a way to combine two of my personal loves yeah my love for for pipe tobacco and also for cigar tobacco
0: Mm -hmm. so uh, as we're just getting into this you know what what are some of the flavor profiles we're picking up on this guys and what if anything, are you picking up that may be unique to the cigar that you wouldn't normally find there? In a blend like this?
5: Well, after, you know, my toast, mm-hmm. they're, they're just the wrapper itself, have a nice sweet barnyard, sweet hay smell to it. Uh, the initial draw wide open and a little bit of leather set on my palate. Mm-hmm. I enjoy it a lot. Um, pairing with the whiskey here a little bit. It's out a little bit, but still enjoying it. I like a little bit of spice, a little bit of spice on the retro here.
2: Yeah.
5: Mm-hmm. Really good. How about
0: you, Debris?
1: Um, I'm finding it really interesting. I kind of um, expected it for some reason to have a lot more uh, like spice off the first draw. Um, and it's surprisingly mellow. Um, I'm definitely, at first, I thought I was getting more cedar from it, but I am actually getting more of that hay as I like get down that first third. Um, it's honestly a very mellow smoke and I'm getting a lot of the sweetness out of it right now.
6: Pat, so what about cool. yourself? So first kind of touching on Saka's point of that unique experience that he's kind of going for is like the room note right off the bat is obviously unique to this cigar than having a traditional cigar because it has like that bonfire kind of smoke, a little bit of sweetness in the aroma. And then on the palate, when you take a drop from the cigar, you get a really nice kind of citrus, earth and leather that kind of coats your palate. There's a sweetness on the back of my palate. And then when I retrohale, it adds like this kind of like red spice kind of sensation. Mm -hmm. And then it moves that sweetness forward and adds a little bit of like a hay note and like kind of a citrusy finish to it. And then uh, we're not talking about the drink yet right now. I'll wait wait on that one. Dave, what
0: about yourself? Yeah, it's good. It's good.
6: Yeah, yeah. It's good. <laughs> I to tell you, I'm not gonna at, say anything after that.
0: I'm just like, they, they get a
3: lot more out of it than I do, to be honest with you. I what do you get out of it too? I mean, Steve? look, I get I get that smokiness from the touch of Latakia. Yeah. I get that kind of almost dryness from the Latakia. I get the I get a little bit of brightness out of the Virginia. And but in the end, I mean it's cigar first and pipe second. Yes. And I think that's the thing that makes it a little bit challenging. I think if you're not a pipe smoker, I don't know that you would say, oh my God, that tastes like a pipe, Mm -hmm. right? And I think the other thing too is I think for most pipe smokers, or I shouldn't say that, I think for most limited experienced pipe smokers, they almost always think of pipes with aromatic tobaccos, Mm -hmm. right? And it's definitely not that aromatic experience. It's aromatic in the way a Navy is. It definitely has that kind of I mean you definitely get that rum note. I mean yeah. for me the rum note is the thing that's the rum is. It really stands there. out to me mm-hmm. more than anything else and I think that's where a lot of the sweetness comes from. That but Andreas. One of the challenges that you always have is cigar tobaccos by their nature are typically stronger than most of the pipe tobaccos that are used. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So and you notice that too as a pipe smoker whenever you smoke any of the cigar-centric blends, which there are quite a few of, as you well know, Dan, um, the cigar leaf really can be very dominant in the blend, Uh and you have to be really measured with it. And that's a real challenge here because essentially what you're looking at is you're looking at an 18-gram cigar, Mm -hmm. and of the 18 grams, depending on which of the still wells, you're running somewhere between 2.8 to about 3.6 grams worth of pipe tobacco, and you really can't add any more to it. Because the problem that you have with the pipe tobacco is it doesn't burn the same way. Right. I mean, the pipe tobacco is designed to be in a bowl. Right. You know what I mean? The heat is much more concentrated. Mm-hmm. Where this has to play along with the cigar leaf. And it's one of the challenges you have that if you put too much pipe tobacco, then it becomes impossible to control the combustion. It becomes impossible to control the, the burn and the, and the way the draw is. So you have to be really, really somewhat deft with how you do it. Right. so the question is how do you do it enough that it's there that the notes available but you don't do it to where you ruin the actual cigar smoking experience right. because it's a cigar first it's yes. not a pipe if you wanted to smoke a pipe you should smoke a, a great navy blend like black frigate right. in a pipe mm-hmm. but for a lot of people that'll never smoke black frigate in a pipe this is a way that you can get some of those tastes and some of those nuances in a format in a in a type of smoking that you're used to smoking right
0: right yeah you know when i i was very very interested in this when it came out you know and i'm the pipe guy at twins and everybody wanted me to try this cigar and i i very much agree with you you know i I didn't quite know what to expect yeah you know not like anybody one thing the one thing i came away with was this is a high end cigar yeah this is a high end cigar that has i don't make any cheap has food. some some flavors and aromas and nuances that you won't normally find because the, the the pipe tobacco filler isn't there right you know but it's a it's a cigar this isn't something that would ever say well i don't need my pipe anymore oh absolutely not and it's it, it, it's not a pipe replacement by no, any stretch it's not a imagine. pipe replacement but it but it does bring to bear those Um, aromas and smells and tastes in a way that uh, a cigar smoker, I think, could really appreciate without feeling like, oh, this is something so different, I don't know what to do with this. I
3: think one of the ways that it's actually the most detectable, oddly enough, is not you yourself smoking it, but by those around you that step into the room and they go, oh, that's a very unique, different aroma. Mm -hmm. And almost always it's universally considered a good aroma. Mm -hmm. So I know that for a lot of the consumers that smoke it, they comment on the fact that it's one of the few cigars that their significant others don't bitch at them about <laughs> when they smoke the cigar because it doesn't have the traditional cigar smell to it. But that way, the pipe tobacco, the aroma of it really takes over. And that's particularly true in the aromatic right. more than any of the others. The aromatic is just like, wow.
0: Now, to me, the aromatic changed up like several times. Like The flavor seemed to completely change was was i just on crack or something or was that something no, that was it's, and, like, uh,
3: i think it's like any cigar you know cigars as you burn them down they tend to go through transitions and you also have to consider i mean one of the challenges too with the still star line is i think that if you're trying to force it to give you something you're just going to over smoke it and mm-hmm. you're going to get nothing what you have to do is you have to almost take a little bit of a pipe approach with it and be a little more gentle with your sips yes a little more gentle with your draws and in particular in the beginning of the lighting process i think it's really important to light it very evenly and to smoke it somewhat slow in the beginning because if you don't smoke it slow in the beginning you'll notice that this cigar will tend to um it'll tend to cone really bad mm-hmm. for like the first inch okay so you need to kind of like let it kind of you need to let the pipe tobacco warm a little bit because the pipe actually in a pipe the tobacco burns much hotter than in a cigar okay the, the, the internal temperature in a pipe is much much hotter okay and you see you, you kind of almost have to be That's part of where the name comes from yeah. in, in order for to have a to, to get a good experience you, you need to be a little still you mm-hmm. know what I mean you need to be a little patient you need to let it develop you need to focus a bit on the smoke now that may sound like a lot of work for some people, and guess what? They're right. And therefore, the cigar may not be appropriate for them. Mm-hmm. But for the people that do get it, I think it's a really interesting smoking experience.
6: Can I ask a question?
0: Uh, uh,
6: okay, Pat.
2: Sorry.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's, sure. just, it's <laughs> relevant I mean, to the Blend Info, so it's probably good to do it in the beginning. So, to my understanding, all four of the uh, wells use the Ecuadorian habano wrapper and then the San Andreas Tondra Negro. Um, binder and then nicaraguan fillers so when you were selecting that blend for this line of cigars like what was your kind of focus on is it because it's good combustion is it because of the flavor like what was the it was a
3: combination it was a worrying about the mechanics i was trying to make something that would work well with pipe tobacco the second thing was i wanted the blend to be cigar but i also didn't want to overpower the pipe tobacco Mm -hmm. so it's a relatively mild to medium blend Across the board. And the other thing, too, is even though the filler recipe differs for all four to better complement, it's all the same tobaccos, just done in different proportions. So, in other words, the aromatic is blended a little lighter than, say, the uh, oddly enough, the one that seems like it's the mildest, the Bayou, is actually the strongest. Um, but I tried to adjust the blend, but the idea was to try to complement. And the other thing, too, was I didn't want the cigar blend to really vary a lot because i wanted the consumer to be able to contrast and compare the four different pipe expressions that was what was in my forefront of my mind whereas so with future stillwell releases um i think you're going to find the blends are going to be much more tailored directly to that specific pipe tobacco because it's a much different experience going forward because i think most people will have had that compare and contrast and now we can do something that's maybe the most complementary to the individual pipe experiences rather than trying to say, okay, I want you to contrast these four pipe experiences with near equal types of cigar blends. What, do you,
0: what, what, what was the biggest challenge in bringing this to, to light for you? You've got, we all know, very exacting standards. So, how, you know, wh- I'll
3: tell you the worst part was all the test blends
0: I smoked. It really kind of sucked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because you're really just. Well, people don't realize that how much of that has to go on behind the scenes. I mean, there were there were a lot of test blends,
3: a lot, a lot of test blends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is this this one? I think probably bench samples of this brand probably went well into the three thousand.
0: Three thousand different yeah. test blends.
3: Yeah. No combinations. You know, I would say that there was at least. 140 kind of different tobacco pipe blends because mm-hmm. one of the things i did is i kind of started off using cornell and deal's core catalog mm-hmm. and just say okay we'll put this in pick that in let's see what that tastes like you know okay. before we even got to the point of oh let's make a still well right right I was really right. just trying to figure out okay which of these pipe tobaccos do i have a hope in hell of it actually of getting to taste like something because mm-hmm. the only thing that to my knowledge has ever been done is either an aromatic right which is kind of uh, a lot of it's like lane one q which is yeah. very popular tobacco yep and the other thing is someone using just kind of straight latakia mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. and other than that i don't think anyone's ever tried to do something like with a navy or with a, with a vapor blend or no, anything like that, that and way. even even an english blend again it's just pretty much straight latakia mm-hmm. is what you see so it was a. Uh, yeah it was a it was a it was a very long arduous boring tedious process
0: one that I do not want to repeat again <laughs> so what was it like working with Jeremy on this pro on this project
4: um, probably his least favorite part
0: yeah honestly you
3: know Jeremy and I we we talked a bit here and there but uh Jeremy did his thing and I did my thing you know what I mean mm-hmm. there wasn't actually a whole lot of back and forth on the finished product he just kind of got stuck he he saw the end result pretty much the same time as everyone else saw the end result. That's mm. true. You know, so... Uh, and I don't really get involved in what he does. I kind of say, hey, I like this. I'd like it to be like Black Frigate, because mm-hmm. Black Frigate's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I'd like it to be like, you know, Pirate Cake. I'd like it to be like that. And he did his thing, and I then a- accommodated from there. So, I mean, it's really... It's almost in some ways uh a little bit independent because again i'm selling to cigar smokers i'm not trying to sell it to pipe guys now mm-hmm. i imagine if you're a pipe guy and you occasionally smoke cigars you might have a little bit of curiosity sure right yeah. um but i don't i don't i never really envision it as, you know pipe guys are going to give up their pipes and start smoking cigars
0: yeah. no that's not how hardcore pipe guys think <laughs>
3: <laughs>
4: nope
0: but you know on the on the same token I think diehard cigar guys look at the cigar with, you know, kind of shifty eyes, too. Yeah, I mean, yeah, diehard,
3: you know, know, typical Dunbarton customers, they won't get it. But guess what? Uh, 98% of the market's not a typical Dunbarton customer,
2: Mm -hmm.
3: right? I mean, you got guys that uh, smoke all across the spectrum. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, I don't think, and that's one of the things, too, that appeals to me about the brand is it's also attracting somebody different somebody new to smoke cigars from our company that might otherwise not smoke cigars from dunbar you know and i can see and we, we're already starting to see it in the numbers um the aromatic is turning out to be the best seller which is kind of what i had always anticipated that's the way it is it was went. the logical way i thought things would go yep um but uh you know and, and that makes sense to me because there's a lot of consumers that you know like that much more sweet kind of chocolatey vanillity blah 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 whatever kind of flavor profile
2: right
0: you
3: know what i mean so and of course they they like the room note of the aromatic sure
0: for the wife did
3: or the wife did yeah. i don't i don't care as long as they give me their money <laughs>
4: <laughs> so,
0: jeremy what was your reaction when steve approached you with this idea I, oh
4: hell no i mean first, <laughs> i mean first i was surprised to learn that that he had been a pipe smoker uh, so long and basically
3: been able to keep this a secret <laughs>
4: keep a lot of things a secret it was it was yeah. a
0: surprise to me too yeah you
3: let me know it's not on message it's not on brand right and the other thing too is i don't have anything to add other than hey i, I like these certain brands of pipe i like these certain pipe tobaccos mm-hmm. i know a little bit more than the average bear mm-hmm. but i can't compare with those guys on reddit or in the pipe groups, or any of those guys that are really into pipes and pipe tobacco, mm-hmm. they're they're way more into it than I've ever been into it. So I, to 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 even enter into the fray is just uh, doesn't make any sense for me. Plus, two, you got to have some personal pleasures in life. Sure, not, not mm. everything has to be on display for social media.
0: <laughs> and thank God for that so
2: you so, were
4: so aside from being surprised that uh that Steve was a, a pipe smoker I was yeah I was excited to I was excited at the opportunity to work on something that I thought was totally unique
2: they
4: mm-hmm. had um, I feel like you know to Steve's point earlier that it's true that Stillwell star may not seem like a very Steve Saka thing to do or a very Dunbarton thing to do but actually kind of kicking against the norms and trying something trying something that's very different is absolutely something that I think Steve is, has done in a lot of different ways, particularly your approach to, to marketing, Steve. But also your approach to your approach to cigar smoking is very much individualized. You make cigars for you, and people can like them or not, but your focus is making on something
3: you believe in. And yeah, I've always cool. felt that if I make stuff I like, it's easier to sell. Yeah, and, you that's, know what the approach. I mean? and that's the and, approach that we've taken at and Cornell. It's, it's, and it's really simple. I, I, I always ask myself with everything, would I be willing to spend my hard-earned cash on it? Mm. And if I'm not willing to buy it, how could I ask someone else to consider buying it? So, Sure. Um, the other thing, too, is I understand that there is no one – bullet answer so therefore there is no right or wrong that's going to satisfy everybody so it's much better to have a, a viewpoint and a perspective and try to get those people whose palettes are aligned with you and what you like and what you dislike to become your customers rather than try to shotgun approach and appeal to everybody in the marketplace mm. um, now oddly enough though I don't make the same cigar over and over again Uh, Our product portfolio is very diverse from top to bottom. They're meant for much different smokers with much different smoking experiences. Now, there are a lot of customers that we have that smoke across the spectrum, and they'll find something in a variety of our lines that they really enjoy. But we have other customers that they just love Umbagog, or they just love Rita or they just love Sobre Mesa Brulee, and that's the cigar they smoke. And they smoke a sin compromiso and they don't understand why is someone spending sixteen dollars for that
0: cigar. Sure. And I have
3: other consumers that will swear sin compromiso is my absolute best cigar that I make. Yeah. You know,
0: yep. Yeah. Well that's that's you know, the benefit of, of putting together such a wide portfolio of products, you know, between the Brule's, the sober mesa, the micorita, the sin compromiso's and now this, When you're hitting different areas of the market. You're and, trying to. You
3: know. You're
0: trying to s- look, I'm trying to
3: satisfy my own personal wants and needs. I don't smoke a lot of Stillwells on the regular. Still well for me is an occasional smoke. I smoke way more Mica Rita. I smoke mm-hmm. way more Mickey Rita than I smoke a sober mesa brulee. A regular sober mesa in the last three weeks uh smoked maybe three of them. You know what I mean? But Every once in a while, I go, wow, there's nothing but an Elegante and Cedros or a Short Churchill that'll do for this moment.
2: Right, right.
3: And that's the perfect cigar for the moment. So I'm really just trying to satisfy individual itches just the same way as some days you want lobster and some days you want steak and some days you want peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so there's some times where certain things are just perfect for the moment. Right. And nothing is ever perfect for all moments at all times. And
6: that's kind of the way I look at cigars too. Mm-hmm. So Saka, since we're talking about like your other lines right now. Um, so <laughs> Um So one question I've had for a while that it's, this is a good opportunity to ask dun, is, dun, dun. so to my understanding, when it comes to like smaller Vitolas, that's something that you lean away, at least the Lancero. So yeah, I'm one, not a fan of lanceros. Yeah, so one of the things that I've just been wondering is, especially on a market where the robusto is basically a toro now, like toro is one of the top-selling size, if not the top-selling size, and then like Gordo's toro, toro, becoming. robusto, gordo are 85% of the sales in the market. So with the Super Mesa Brulé Blue, yeah. how is like that vitola and that cigar selling? so well opposed to like all the other cigars that you have at least at Twins like that that thing we can't keep on the shelf
3: you know I I have to wonder is it partially the thing about sober Mesa brulee blue is it's really kind of more of a geek format I mean it's essentially a Lonsdale, right um and that's a cigar that if I was gonna smoke a Connecticut shade cigar that would be what I would lean towards mm-hmm. would be that particular cigar in yeah. that particular size so for me it's probably the one that is best suited to my personal palette but i can tell you right now i mean more consumers buy sober mesa brulee than they buy brulee blue it's just you notice brulee blue selling because a they're 16 dollars and b because they're aged a year they're just always out of stock and when things are out of stock they just kind of come to mind but if you look at the sales data we sell way more toros and robustos in brulee than we sell a brulee blue but brulee blue is the one that you have that cigar geek clamoring after you have that more experienced guy and the thing too that's weird about sober mesa brulee blue is it also touches into that consumer who wants a stronger cigar so somebody that would normally smoke a darker fuller bodied cigar they smoke a sober mesa brulee blue They're like wow that's actually really good mm-hmm. rather than oh that's good for a Connecticut. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is yeah, normally yeah, what—that's yeah. normally what a hardcore cigar guy will say. That smokes on the heavier of the spectrum. We're going, okay, that's pretty good for Connecticut, but he doesn't ever buy it again. Whereas the sober Mesa Brulee Blue is one that actually I find hardcore cigar consumers who rarely smoke Connecticut actually go out of their way to smoke a sober Mesa Brulee Blue. So it has that kind of a bit of juice behind it. And look, the fact that it is just—it just it's just inherently limited because of the one year of additional aging that also just makes it sexier because people just love shit they can't buy okay <laughs> so when when they can't buy it on the ready it just kind of makes them go wow i really wish i could get that i really wish I the same reason why when you go to california you're like i gotta go eat it in and out or when you go to texas you gotta eat it. at whataburger you know is whataburger the most amazing burger ever no but when you're in Texas you kind of have that I want to scratch my whataburger itch you know Mm -hmm, what I mean mm -hmm. I want that kind of goopy soupy kind of real easy cheesy you know kind of burger you know what I mean so that's kind of where I think something like brulee blue ends up having an advantage over maybe the stuff that is readily available on the shelf but we we sell easily I don't even know 10 15 fold a regular brulee than brulee blue where we would be out of business Oh.
0: pat you had uh kind of been tromping at the bit before to maybe talk about the uh bourbon, bourbon. and how the cigar was affecting that do you want to share what you were thinking
6: yeah so brie has the product knowledge on the bourbon if you want to start with that first and then debris. i product
0: knowledge there. please sure. Debrief debris yeah
1: so um <laughs> jefferson's they have one of my favorite bourbon slash rise however on um, this one is new to me um, this is the jefferson's reserve um, twin oak very old very rare barrel so um, this one it starts with your standard 10 year old kentucky straight bourbon whiskey um, what makes it unique is that they put it through an additional aging process so they put this bourbon in grooved oak barrels and um, the purpose of doing that is they're trying to create like more contact with the oak barrel so that they're infusing more of that flavor so um, by them putting the bourbon their 10-year bourbon into these grooved barrels it's um pretty much supposed to increase the surface area contact with the bourbon in the barrel so um they say that this bourbon is like going to pick up a lot more of that oak flavor but the additional aging process is also going to kind of add um, a little bit more like baking spice it's going to kind of um Give it a little more refinement smooth it out um and i, I kind of find that interesting i think it's really on par so far um with this pairing because um you're getting that mellow sweetness from the bourbon and it's complementing well with that uh, aromatic note that you're getting from the cigar
0: uh let me tell you it to me it the effect on the cigar is it sweetens it out and that the san andreas and the rum kind of flavors come forward um in the retrohale the spice builds up when you smoke the glass and then take the bourbon you can totally taste the Latakia and and the all of that it like it totally ramps up what do you the mean by that
3: Smoke the glass
0: take a puff right Blow it into the glass. That's what I thought you meant. I just wanted to and make then, sure that's what and we then we're talking move it around, and then you know, so get you're getting the smoke to interact with the with the alcohol. Okay. And then take a sip, and it was like it really emphasized the pipe tobacco portions of the cigar, and it was it was wild to me.
3: I've never done that. Gotta admit, it makes for cool video. Look at that.
0: You feel like Harry Potter? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
3: I'm not gonna die from drinking this. Like.
0: <laughs> Tell me if I'm wrong.
3: Wow, that is weird, right? That's kind of cool. Did you guys do this at your pipe dinner? No, we actually didn't. No, oh, no, you, you, know, you gotta no. Add- wow! I'm, I'm, I'm actually surprised. surprised. You gotta add this what? to the repertoire. That's we actually, do this every show. That's actually very cool. This is like that a, is a deconstructed
1: really neat. smoked old fashioned.
3: Right? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: I'm boy. interested. If,
3: I'm, I'm happy to hear this is Jeffersons because that was the first thing I said to you: "Is this ocean?"
2: Mm-hmm.
3: When you gave yeah, it to me, because yeah. I smelled like, "Oh, this is ocean," isn't it? And You said, "No, it's twin something." I'm like, "Oh, I'm really off base." Oak, yeah. And then, like, "Oh, it is Jeffersons." Got it.
1: This is almost more refined than the ocean in a way. Um, it has like a that little bit. Parts
3: I've given it. up on the ocean because there's so many voyages anymore. Yeah, it used to be so much simpler, and I used to really like it. And now I got to worry about whether it was on a two-day trip or an eight-year <laughs> trip, and whether it went to Zimbabwe or whether it went to, or whether it went on the Great Lakes right. to Cleveland. Right. Well, you know well, what I mean? It's, like it's not. It's, it's not as, I don't know. It's almost like lost some of its romantic. The passport. Jefferson, the Jefferson yeah.
0: Rep Talia, uh, who was going to be on the show tonight, she, you know, had some, you know, health concerns, so she wasn't able to be here. But you know, we we talked about which one to bring on, and. It was this or Ocean, and we picked this because this one is not always available, whereas you can almost always go into the store and find some version of Jefferson. It's actually quite cool. It is I love neat. the aroma. Yeah, it's great. And it does, doesn't it emphasize the, yeah, the, yeah, the pipe tobacco? It really does. It's, it's crazy. All right, Pat, now you can share what you thought. Yeah, so the Jefferson
6: (laughs) on its own to me has kind of like a calm sweetness, a dark oak wood, and like a little bit of spice. Mm -hmm. So when you take a sip from the drink, you know, you get that kind of like sweet coating on your palate, that wood's there, and then it kind of preps your palate for the cigar. And I think since you have like that spice note that kind of lingers on your palate, it kind of cuts through the, the dark tobacco in the cigar, and it kind of like lets you kind of get the nuances more so from the pipe tobacco. And I got a more like, savory, kind of earthy cocoa kind of flavor on my palate, and then, like, those hay and citrus notes kind of popped out a bit more, and then, like, it had more of, like, a refined, leathery finish than before the drink, so we kind of scooping out Do we have, we a have bit an more. empty
0: Glen Karn glass? I could get one.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm just curious how the smoke smells without the liquor. Did mm. you have a Glen Karn glass, I mean, its whole intent is to focus the aroma of the spirit, right? So I'm wondering, how does the smoke smell just coming out of the glass, because I find that when I smell the smoke coming out of the glass, it's very much like the room, note. Well, you don't have to do it. Let me just finish drinking this, and I'll use this empty glass. Want to clean it? on,
6: uh, okay. That's true. <clears throat> so while Dan's doing that, I guess I can shoot another question off. And this one can go for Jeremy and Sokka. So, obvious, I think that a lot of uh, light tobacco varieties could be utilized in premium cigars. So a lot of companies have undisclosed fillers in their cigars. So I'm wondering if anyone thinks that maybe there's some light tobacco in some cigar blends, or is that just because they just don't want to release what the fillers are?
3: Mm. Well, do uh, you want to answer that or you want me to answer that? I I tend <laughs> to think that there's probably not a lot yeah there is that's what i'm going to say that there isn't the reason why they don't disclose is because we're all pretty much using a lot of very similar ingredients and the other reason i would say they don't disclose is because look most cigars are not really leaf specific um they're constantly adjusting the blends all the time so rather than be put in a position of where they say it's x for it to end up ultimately being y not that you as a consumer would know that it's just simpler to say undisclosed and that way it doesn't kind of pigeonhole them in. And it also means that their staff don't have to remember anything. Okay, it's just easier and it just seems more <laughs> romantic. So yes, it's undisclosed special tobacco. You know what I mean? I, I personally find it lazy, but that's my own you know personal perspective on it. Um, but one of the things that I think you're going to see that over the last couple of years, I think there have been a lot of blends in the marketplace that are very long-standing, consistent blends that have been getting a lot of variations incorporated into them because we've been in a terrible tripa, which is a Spanish word for filler tobacco, Mm. shortage over the last 18 months. It's been really, really challenging. So I think there's been an awful lot of substitutions going on in the last 18 months across a lot of different products and brands.
4: Mm. Yeah, sourcing, sourcing of all sorts of things has been difficult for particularly the past two years. Um, and I think that's affected that's affected the types of tobaccos that are more common in pipe tobacco
3: just as much as it has cigar, and there's lots of reasons for that. And for every tobacco that a consumer likes, there's another consumer that dislikes that tobacco. So when you simply say it's undisclosed, well, then you get rid of those initial biases that consumers have yeah. because they don't have anything to prejudge it on, right? Yep. There's yeah. a lot of people who go, oh, well, I don't like San Andreas Negro, mm-hmm. so they won't smoke any cigars that have Mexican wrappers on them even though not all cigars and all Mexican tobacco are equal, right? okay? Right. But yet you have a preconceived notion, oh, well, I had cigar A that had San Andreas, I had cigar B that has San Andreas. Neither of those one worked for me, so therefore I'm not going to try the other 82 million varieties of San Andreas out there. And it kind of takes that off the table. Not so, only varieties, but
4: also, I mean, we see this in pipe tobacco too, that somebody sees black Cavendish in the list of ingredients and they don't realize that you could be using 1% right you could be using 10 you and could also eat, it's you the know. quality
3: of what the tobacco is that you're cavendish absolutely and it also depends on what you're cabin dish.ing because right. not all cavendish is all the same right yeah, that's correct right? every cavendish you can cavendish anything can't you
4: right we use three different cavendishes at cornell and deal
3: right but a lot of particularly for like hardcore pipe guys i shouldn't say hardcore maybe that's not fair but there's a whole segment of pipe <laughs> smokers <laughs> They just instantly dismiss anything that says it has black Cavendish. Anymore.
4: Yeah, that's right. Oh, just yeah.
3: instantaneously off the top, no, because they associate Cavendish with Captain Black and you know and these cheap, cheap Aromatic discount brands that they, yeah. you know, first started smoking out of uh, out of the convenience stores mm-hmm. and out of the drug stores. And that's just it's just not a fair thing. That's like it's like saying all beer is beer, right? There's a definite <laughs> difference yeah. between Bud Light and you know a certain white beer hyphen wise you know what i mean right Mm -hmm. you can't just instantly say oh well any light lager i'm going to just dislike it out of hand
4: right you told me tonight that we were going to be drinking jefferson's twin oak and i'm like oh i had old crow once i don't like bourbon that's Mm. that's the wrong mindset right right Um, right
6: exactly exactly and Uh, then jumping back to just one point that was made that i want to touch on with the, the lack of oh, we're biliars. doing this at Stillwell Events.
3: <laughs> this is a great idea, isn't that Great! Yeah. Oh, really you really cool. you really get a great idea <laughs> as to what the aroma is. Yeah, I've never I've never done this before.
4: Now
0: here, before, sorry, Pat, having done that into a clean, Karen glass, it's different. What, how is it different? It's much more
3: true to what the cigar smells okay. like, obviously.
0: So the so now you can really you can really say for sure that it was the alcohol that tree oh the alcohol
3: so. definitely has an impact on it i mean yeah i think with the alcohol it's probably even more appealing a smell to mm. be honest with you but i think this gives you a much more true true representation of what out. the room note is
0: mm-hmm.
3: i'm gonna start doing this with all cigars i don't know why i've never thought of this idea
0: yeah i'm, I'm yeah, gonna do it's not it with just pipes, blowing smoke people yep there you go go ahead go ahead pat
6: so, to touch on the point of there's a shortage in filler tobacco, is that solely credited to the cigar boom that we've been in, or could it be credited a, partially to?
3: It's actually credited to the slowdown that started in 2019. So, in 2019, um, look, 70 plus percent of cigars are sold by the big box retailers. And in 2019, they started to sharply reduce their orders. And as a result, what ended up happening is. The factories did not need to produce as many cigars in 2019 so when they put in their plantings for that for that season they just simply planted less filler and filler is something that typically as a factory we never struggle with we almost always at almost all factory levels you have a genuine amount you have two to three years of filler almost at all times so it's the thing that you have the greatest buffer for so wrapper has always been the big challenge is what it's had so it wasn't something that was really it was like the easiest thing to cut and then what ended up happening was you then on top of that had COVID strike in early 20 and that even caused a bigger slowdown initially so you had this really small planting season in 2019-2020 crop mm-hmm. you had to slow down and then all of a sudden things got shot out of a cannon and you started consuming so much filler to make so many cigars I mean Typical years, I mean, 2019, I think we, as, a, as an industry, we imported about a little over 305, 308 million units, whereas in 2021, we had 458 million wow. units. Wow. So it was a significant increase. And as a result, <clears throat> you just ended up having a, a shortfall. Now, I will say this, this filler problem, it's going to be rectified coming into this next crop cycle because this next crop cycle Will end up ultimately being overgrown okay because that's the way it always works they 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 grow to need okay and they don't they don't grow to spec i mean a little bit here and there but for the most part these farmers don't want to plant stuff that they don't have a customer to buy right and currently there is a customer to buy it because now all the factories have depleted all their standing inventories and they're living hand to mouth on filler tobaccos and it's become a real challenge all the way through the end of 2020 and all through 2021 and we're still feeling the ramifications of that now because now the planting at the end of 2021 was very much larger okay but those tobaccos won't start coming online until about the summer to the end of this year okay so it's 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 a it's a it's a situation that will work itself out right but it's always one to two years behind okay. as to where you actually are. And it's just a combination of dramatic slowdown and then dramatic explosion. There's just too much upheaval, too much change, too sh- short. And we just can't, we just can't respond you know, in the manner that's quick enough because we're dealing with a material. It's an organic grown material. Right, sure. You know, it's not like we go, oh, yeah, just print us some more leaf you know what I mean it just doesn't work that way that'd be nice
6: is any of the shortage like credited to like the kind of like the more consumer base on like larger vitolas and like we're seeing robustos go from 50 gauges to 54 gauges that also
3: has a dramatic impact I mean look these larger formats they don't consume that much more wrapper and binder but they do certainly consume a lot more filler tobacco and that's also part of where you have the challenge this shift into these so many Gordo's And like you said, even, look, traditionally, Robustos used to be 48 and 50 ring gauge. Now, traditionally, Robustos are like 52 to 56 ring gauge, right? Right. Yeah, you look at how many cigars, I mean, look, the number one selling, you know, the number one selling ring gauges used to range between 46 and 50. Now, you're pretty much 50 to 54. Mm. So, that's a transition with 60s being a really huge segment of the market. Which they weren't part of the market at all, for all mm-hmm. practical purposes, mm-hmm. you know, 10, 15 years ago. They just didn't exist. So that also compounds the issue.
0: So one of the um, segments we like to do on the show is uh, Pastor Patron's Cigar Confessions, where I talk about pet peeves okay. in the uh, industry. And it's it's. if I were to <coughs> say it a little bit more positive, it would be, you know, What's something that I could share that would, I wish people would stop doing, or start doing, so that they could enjoy their cigar experience more. What and so what's one of your cigar pet peeves? I
3: kind of touched on it earlier. I mean, the first one is I hate it when consumers rush lighting their cigars initially. Mm. I mean, I know these torch lighters are great. But they really allow you to kind of skip that process of warming the cigar yeah. and making sure it's lit evenly. Look, it's great it's,
0: when you're outside, but I mean, it's poor for just, just lighting just, the cigar. Just
3: take a little bit of time and light it evenly to begin with. Get it really burning well. Don't, don't try to force it so quickly because you're really starting the cigar off at a deficit when you do that. The other thing, too, is I find consumers have become just incredibly picky When it comes to some of these construction issues that uh, I just, I I don't think they realize how high the quality of the general production they're smoking today compared to the tile of cigars that I used to smoke three decades ago. Mm. I mean, the cigars that are manufactured today are head and shoulders literally threefold better, but uh, they get too, like, when they talk about an even burn, they want everything to look like an Instagram photo. Well, guess what? (laughs) It isn't like that. It's a handmade product. there has to be a little bit of give and take it's not unusual for you have to touch up a cigar it's not unusual for you have to occasionally relight it ashes are not designed to be four inches long right you know what i mean right and these have become kind of unrealistic instagram uh kind of perspectives with this newer class of consumer and look it's no different i mean it's like all the instagram chicks right Mm -hmm. you know it's like it's not a normal representation no or you know
5: we need and, cigar filters.
3: <laughs> right. And uh, <laughs> so I, I think and the thing is you find that the more experienced the consumer is, the more realistic they are about what is good and what is bad. But I find with the younger, not younger but less experienced consumer, they almost have unrealistic expectations mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's a bit of pedipede. But the thing is you can't say that. The only way they're going to learn it is through smoking hundreds, if not thousands of cigars, and eventually they'll be able to sort the wheat from the chaff. For
0: sure. Uh, <coughs> we're coming up on the end of the, the first half of the show here. What's the final verdict here on the uh, Still star Navy number 1059? 56. 56? Yeah. 1056. I, oh. oh, my God. It's okay. I'm so sorry.
3: 1056. So don't bother me. They ordered the 1059, they're gonna get the
0: 1056 because there's no 1058. <laughs> the Still will Star Navy. <laughs> now that was the number of the, the ship you served on. That's right? correct. Navy, it's uh it's an it's an homage more.
3: to the, the boat that I was uh I was in the list of squid on the USS Canal was FF 1056. Mm.
0: Nice. Michelle, what's your uh, verdict on the cigar? Delicious. I got a lot of that.
5: Hey, the beginning that we spoke about. And then a lot of Kia kicked in a lot. Very smoky. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like a, a warm cinnamon as well, too. So I really
6: enjoyed that, as you can see. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah.
0: He's our quick smoker.
6: Pat? Yeah, I mean, one of the things with Dunbar that I've come to enjoy is that Sandra San is Negro tobacco. And when I saw that that was in this blend, I got really excited. And I think it was a remarkable job kind of incorporating. Those nuances from the pipe tobacco but still kind of pleasing that everyday kind of cigar smoking experience and it doesn't like this pipe tobacco is there but it's not overpowering it's just kind of a nice little touch up on the traditional kind of den bomb profile so it's really good debris
1: um i found it interesting because i feel like the the mid to end of this pairing um in general kind of reminded me of the first like f- um uh, like second to fourth hit off of a pipe um the pairing like the cigar itself started out way milder than I expected a lot of sweetness and then as we started to pair like the smoke from the cigar with the bourbon and as we smoked the cigar down further um you got like a little bit more pepper but I feel like the cigar alone wasn't what was providing the pepper I feel like um, that like mm-hmm. little bit of like sweet spice actually came from the combination of the bourbon and the cigar. So I really did find it interesting that um, I found myself comparing um, the experience of like sipping this bourbon with the smoke and being like in the mid portion of the cigar to taking those first like four to five hits off of um, a, like pipe tobacco. that's maybe more heavy with the Perique.
0: Yeah. Nice. Um, great cigar. This is my favorite of the Stillwells, personally. Um, I think it's Jeremy's too. It's mine right? too. Yep. Yeah, I, I really think that uh, uh, both the uh, pipe and cigar tobaccos really marry well here, and it's it's uh, it's one of these blends where um, I sense those differences, mm-hmm. but they're so married to everything else that's going on, it's it's really hard to talk about them as separate things for me like oh i get this flavor right it's like it's almost like a good soup you know where there's so many different flavors going on you know you like it but it's harder to pick out the individual flavors Mm -hmm. um but uh it it has those nuances of a good navy blend pipe tobacco but they're nuances Mm -hmm. it's a cigar and that's what it is first and foremost and it, it just if, if um, you know, to me, if the goal was, I want to introduce some of my cigar buddies to something that I really enjoy, knowing that they're probably never going to go to a, a pipe. Right. This is a way for me to share some of the things that I really enjoy without, you know, making them change over to, to something right. else. It's and, really
3: hard to get a, a cigar smoker first to become a pipe smoker. Yeah. It really is. It's yeah. a real challenge.
1: We see you, Kurt.
2: uh
0: we're gonna take a short break we'll be back in just a few minutes we'll be talking a lot more with Jeremy Reeves the head blender of Cornell and deal and smoking black frigate which is very similar to what is in here as they have said don't go anywhere we'll be right back all right everybody thanks for hanging in there we are back and now we are smoking black frigate from cornell and deal let me uh, tell you what it uh, says on the back of the tin latakia and turkish are added to the navy cavendish which forms the base for blockade runner which is virginia's that are aged in rum to produce a royal navy blend pressed and sliced into an old-fashioned crumble cake a royal navy blend not for the faint of heart uh, Latakia Virginia Cavendish Oriental there's obviously rum or Navy rations in there and um we're having the same uh Twin Oak uh Jefferson's bourbon with this uh thanks to Talia tonight but uh, what are some of the um uh labor notes that we're picking up on this
5: I immediately get a bready sourdough note it's very tasty um maybe it's a lot of key the purique, but a lot of heat sits on the palate it dissipates very quickly mm-hmm. and it finishes with a sweetness.
4: It's pretty good. Is yeah.
3: there any purique in
0: this?
4: No, there's no Puri. I didn't think there was, yeah. 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 Uh red red and bright Virginia, uh Oriental and that's nice. And the Latakia is very, very slight. Ah, uh, okay.
0: Okay. Um I am a I'm a big fan of blockade runner you know I love that and so this kind of just ramps it up a little bit um you still get a lot of that stewed fruit kind of uh flavor from the Virginias wood and hay and earth um the rum is a little bit less obvious in this but it's still still very much there and um smooth it's creamy it's a it's a great it's a great navy blend, and Steve, you said that this is one of your favorites. Yeah,
3: I like this much better than blockade runner, to be honest with you. I mean, the blockade runner I know is the base,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but this just adding the latakia just adds an extra element to it. You know, the touch of oriental, it just gives it a little bit more depth, a little bit more richness. It's kind of almost like a an aromatic light for those guys that traditionally would smoke an English style blend. Sure, you know what I mean. Yep, you know because it's 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 just, for me. I just find this to be a more appealing one. It's it's one of my absolute favorite Navy blends is is this particular
4: can. The Oriental, the Oriental I think is for me the star of the show uh, because it plays on the sweetness that you get from the bright Virginia, Mm -hmm. uh, which has a naturally higher sugar content. And it plays on the fact that the Latakia uh, while it's, you know, not, not a very large portion of the blend the latakia is actually a fire cured oriental right um and so it kind of it kind of lends lends some oomph to the underlying oriental flavor that Latakia has and mm-hmm. it plays on the sweetness of the bright Virginia in particular mm-hmm. and then you've got this really nice sort of almost effervescent like light airy uh floral quality mm-hmm. to it that it adds and mm-hmm. I just yeah i think it I think it all plays together really well it's one of my favorite blends is it
3: Turkish Izmir yeah Izmir
4: and Bosma and Bosma
0: I'm really interested in what debris thinks of this
1: this is another uh grandpa's cabin pairing I feel (laughs) um (laughs) so um, I'm definitely getting a lot of um that like fire cured essence um I think every time I light up a pipe tobacco like um I'd say 90% of the time, initially, you're hit with that kind of, um, like, bold spice, at least from what I've smoked so far. Um, And just like the cigar pairing, this was a lot more refined than I expected. Um, Didn't get as much of that, like, spicy kick, but I got, like, an essence of, like, an aged fine wine. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it, it wasn't quite, like, that, like, Bright fruity sweetness it was more of that um you know you you have some grapes sitting in a barrel and they're sitting there and um they're they're gaining a little bit more intensity um so i got um kind of that more refined sweetness um, if you would call it that
2: mm-hmm.
1: it, it's a very um well broken in blend
0: pat uh-huh.
6: <clears throat> yeah, so the palate's getting like that kind of creamy, like sour dough kind of texture that Shell was referring to. Um, I'm getting some clove, which I think could be kind of that floral note that Jeremy just kind of spoke to. Um, some fig and a little bit of sweetness on the palate, and then the retro introduces like this really nice, like rich kind of dark plum kind of aroma too, that kind of lingers on the finish for me. Yeah.
0: Um, Jeremy, as we're getting deeper into the bowl, you know. What exactly does a, a master blender do at a company like Cornell with you?
4: I spend so much of my time just tracking down the leaf that we can use <laughs> and we we need leaf that has time on it that mm-hmm. has that has had some time on a bale to mellow um, and so there there really is almost no with very very few exceptions there's really almost no tobacco that I'm interested in using that was just harvested last year um so i am constantly sourcing tobacco that i can have in storage and be allowing to to mellow that can move into what will eventually be
3: used in blends
0: so you're actually looking for stuff that you don't plan to use for another year two years three years down the road but you don't really have a
3: a typical like pre-industry kind of scenario do you you have more of an aging kind of scenario mm-hmm. with your tobacco so that, that makes your that makes your tobacco partners much more integral you know what i mean yeah so i can't travel the world constantly to
4: turkey and to italy and to uh greece and and track down all of these things while they're in the field there are a couple of farms that we do work directly with in that way uh 31 farms are parikh our, Perique, our Perique partners uh down in st james parish and i go down there and i work in the field with those guys i've harvested it i've planted it i have uh, worked every stage in the barrel with them um and obviously i'm not like the guy that's holding it all together by any means you know right. I'm, I'm there showing up for a period of time where there's a lot of work to do and just pitching in and helping Mm -hmm. and learning along the way Uh, but so much of so much of my job is finding leaf that has already been cured okay that is already that has already been turned into you know with the what the agriculture aspect of it is a a finished product and i'm finding the things that i as a manufacturer can use to maintain our our flavor profiles for the established blends Mm -hmm. and find things that are new and interesting and integrate those in in meaningful ways to limited edition products or to you know sort of uh ways to tweak
0: existing blends how did you end up at Cornell?
4: through a series of weird decisions (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, and just be in right place, right time as a result of some of those things and things that were, conti- you know, entirely out of my control as well. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I always had an interest in food. I always had an interest in, uh, in flavor. And I always had an interest in things that brought people together. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I saw that, uh, when I started getting into cigars, I, I had a really a really fascinating experience and a really life-changing experience working in my first cigar store where i went from being a hobbyist who thought it'd be fun and cool to make money selling cigars which i was interested in to realizing that the cigars were while cool and interesting and providing a lot of uh A lot of things for my geeky mind to pick apart and and analyze that what was even cooler than that to me was the weird group of people the weird cross-section of folks who might not have ever met any other way yeah that the intersection that brought them together was the cigar store Mm. um and i saw you know i saw cigar store banter as as uh kind of breaking some of those norms of like the off-limits topics that we you know yeah avoid in so many aspects of our social engagement that it's all right in a cigar shop and that, that, that those things really kind of like expose people to to different ideas and, and different opinions and that you know you walk into Blue Havana and there'd be a guy who is uh, who is Muslim having a really interesting Argument or discussion with one of the guys who was like a card-carrying member of the Communist Party. <laughs> uh, you know, it was like these are these are fascinating things that I couldn't I couldn't think of another example in my life where that conversation would have been okay. Sure. Uh, you know, in the way that it was in in the confines and in the in sort of the safe space that our cigar shop was, and it made me it made me think more deeply than just like this tastes good and it's fun about what it could actually mean to
3: to people. So you're saying you began as a cigar smoker first, but then transitioned heavier into pipes. I did. So we just had basically the opposite
0: experience.
3: Yeah. Interesting. Yeah.
0: What What took you? It's in... one of
4: the many ways that we we're opposites. That uh, yeah, kind of works.
0: Yeah. What What was it that took you in that direction?
4: So, I uh, I had a friend. Who was this? Was this was 2003 when I started working at Blue Havana. And I had a friend who was uh, a pipe tobacco sales rep um, for for Lane, actually, okay. and he rented his apartment from my boss, Mark Thomas, um, who also had a bunch of properties. And so um, he uh, one day told me, you know, you. You like all this tobacco stuff too much not to be enjoying a pipe. You should have a pipe. You should have some pipe tobaccos. I think that this might be something that that would appeal to you. So he gave me a pipe. He gave me a Stanwell sandblasted billiard. And he gave me, I don't know, five or six tins of tobacco. He gave me a Rattray's Red wrappery, Mm. And he gave me uh, some Frog Morton on the town. And he gave me... uh, what all else? I mean, it was a long time ago. I think some Wessex, and just you know, gave me a few different tins of tobacco and said, you know, here's a quick tutorial. But like, I think I think you might find find this appealing. And I totally screwed it all up, and struggled as a pipe smoker for a lot of a lot of time actually. And the internet wasn't really uh, the, the place the, yeah. the place where you know. Pipes and pipe tobacco had really become like this thing in YouTube and this thing in Facebook, and uh, so I I didn't have the benefit of a lot of those in, those interactions online, and I didn't know a lot of other pipe smokers. In fact, I virtually knew none. Um, so at some point, I had I had kind of gotten as far as I could get with Blue Havana. I'd worked my way quickly up to manager. And, uh, you know, I was going to events and shows and things and uh, putting together tastings, but I, I got an offer at a different cigar shop, La Casa Del Tobacco, and I went there for a while, but I found that I was really missing. Muhammad didn't want to bring on pipes or pipe tobacco at all. He had no interest at all in it, and I, I really was interested in that. Well, during my time at La Casa, uh, Yvonne Reese was looking for someone and I had I had a couple of yeah they're a that, very
3: pipe centric shop
4: they are a very pipe centric shop yeah. and so I got a job there and suddenly I was not only uh not only working with a staff of folks that were well versed in pipes and pipe tobacco but I was also uh surrounded by a lot of clientele that were you know had been at it for a long time and so yeah that was kind of how I really transitioned fully from being a cigar guy who dabbled or struggled with pipes to being a guy who really was a a primary pipe smoker and dabbled in cigars
0: now that wasn't that wasn't a short period of time
4: uh i started at yvonne reese middle of 2006.
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so you're talking about three years, then? Yeah, right?
4: where I had gone from like you know getting my first pipe and kind of like you know just struggling through it, the tongue bite, you know, the gurgling yeah. and the all all of that stuff, struggling to keep it lit to uh, to you know kind of getting it and really you know beginning to invest in a pipe collection and beginning to invest in a cellar and and uh, you know learning about aging tobaccos and things. So yeah, over a, over a course of about three years, and now I meet guys who you know started pipe smoking ten months ago and they know a lot of the things that it took me all that time
3: to kind of figure out. <laughs> Again, the benefit of the Internet,
1: right? Yeah. You, right. Know, you
3: have access to so much more information. It's crazy.
0: Well, I mean, the, you know, the, the next question for me then is, you know, what kept you going and not wanting to give it up? I mean, the number one thing I hear when, you know, cigar guys, you know, at Twins we, ha- we have a, a, a very growing, very vibrant pipe community and they see stuff that's going on they want to try and get involved but so often it's like oh this is so much work I yeah, can't again it's be, it. it's because you're but, a
3: champion for it
0: yeah I mean, but you're, you got,
3: you're providing you're providing that ability to to when you have someone that's experienced that really enjoys something and is willing to share their knowledge it makes it much easier for a new consumer to become vested in exactly. it. Exactly. So I mean, in his situation,
0: there wasn't anybody. So what kept, what kept you... Yeah, but I'm sure that was like, you
3: Reese, there are people
0: there. Yeah, there
4: definitely were. But willing. there
0: weren't up until you got there.
3: Right,
4: exactly. To what,
0: so I'm, I'm like wondering what kept you wanting to stay involved with it when you were struggling and struggling and struggling and there wasn't all the support I, for that?
4: Basically a desire to get it. Uh, I was I was in a competition with myself to some degree, and then beyond that, I just really enjoyed the wide variation of, of flavors that you could get yeah. from a pipe. Whole different
0: world of tastes.
4: Absolutely, I uh, you know I obviously I first you know my first introduction to premium tobacco was cigars, and I still smoke cigars and enjoy them very much. But take a mild cigar, take a strong cigar and everything in between, and you're still talking about a relatively narrow range of flavor by comparison to a pipe where you can go from something like this to something like your dark bird's eye. Right. That's a drastic difference. Right. I can't think of an analogy in in cigars that is quite that wide or that broad. I think you've got mm-hmm. a lot more flavors that are available without even talking about toppings and, and casings and things. Just the tobaccos that are used are more varied because they come from so many different kinds of places
2: right
5: Mm, yep yeah the growing reasons are definitely a lot more widespread like uh i just noticed that on on sun bear the the, uh the virginias was sourced from canada
0: Mm, i didn't even know they grew tobacco in canada
5: yeah
4: (laughs) (laughs) actually my favorite bright Virginias come from canada is because there is there is something about the soil content and the weather in ontario that produces a sugar content in the bright Virginias there that they've tried and tried and they cannot match it in the U S that's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. So, I mean, South Carolina grows almost exclusively bright Virginia, but your average, your average sugar content in a South Carolinian bright is somewhere in the neighborhood of 18% at the top end. And in Canadian leaf, I've seen 36% sugar wow. and it's just wild. Um, I mean it's it's almost it's almost too much, or I would say actually it is too much. Like smoking that street on its own was was painful almost immediately. You had to you had to taper it down because sugar is an accelerant.
0: Right, right, right. So, so what, what's the thing you like best about what you do?
4: The thing that I like best about what I do is because I'm not only sourcing tobacco to maintain the history of a company that has been for a long, long time my favorite American manufacturer. I mean, I was a almost exclusive C&D smoker long before I worked at the company or had any opportunity to. Okay. Um, so that that ability is is something that is, I mean, just kind of in and of itself a dream. It's beyond me that I got to not only just work at a company that had played such a big part of my own, my own smoking life personally, but that I also get an opportunity to touch how, how we present our products to the world and, and to touch how those things taste and translate Mm. and to kind of carry that tradition, but also to put my own spin on some things and do some things that are, that are special to me that happened after Craig and Patty had 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 parted ways with it
0: what if, what's one of the things about what you do that you would change or get rid of if you could
4: <laughs> uh so it's I a don't say Kaz. <laughs> not at all not at all cas is fantastic in fact Kaz started at, at cnd before he, he went on to That's work right. at la dc distribution group he was uh Cooking, cooking red calf and, uh, you know, cutting, cutting components into ribbon for blending and breaking up leaf to be used in pressing and things. Um, he also contributed uh, uh, a blend to uh, our, our portfolio, Midnight Drive. Yeah, shout out Kaz. <laughs> Early blend, no? No, it's, no. A, it's a Latakia blend Oh, okay. with, with Parikh. I
3: don't think I've had that one.
4: Stoved. It's part of the working man series.
3: Okay, that's why I've never smoked. Oh yeah. (laughs) 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 Yeah, sounds like sounds like too much work. (laughs) Um,
4: (laughs) no one of one of the things if if I if I could change anything about the 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 format of our line, I think would be something that I would change. But it's been a huge boon to us in light of what has happened with the fda cornell and deal started out as such a small mom and pop sort of operation that as a brand new as a brand new customer they've never dealt with you before you got their phone number you call them you say i've got this great idea for a blend i want it to be 50 you know 56 percent latakia and i want it to be two percent Burley, and i want it to be this i want it to be that and they would write it all down and you'd say i only want to buy two ounces they would go and they would blend your two ounces and they would package it in a tin for you and they would sell you that two-ounce tin of tobacco. And that was like... Not their- a soccer-run company. No. Would-
2: <laughs> yeah. no, I
0: was just going to say, Steve's about ready to die. <laughs> you would fool. They, they would write down the recipe. They would write down the recipe on a,
4: on a card that went in a Rolodex. Mm-hmm. They would put your name on it. And they would assign it uh, assign it a blend number, and then the next time that you called, if you wanted that blend again, then they would they would make it for you in whatever quantity you wanted. And very bespoke. Ma- very bespoke. So what that means for us is that we have this big sort of you know kind of intimidating catalog of of tobacco blends that are all really unique, um, and and so it's a big it's a big catalog, and when somebody starts with you know kind of exploring C and d it's endless yeah it's endless and some people look at it and go like, I don't know where to start and some people see it as like you know a a, a, kid book, in a, candy store. a, a book lover walking yeah. into a library or yeah. right a kid yeah, in a candy sure. store just like man there's so many different things that I can dig through and, and try but that yeah. would be something that I would probably if if you know, I could change other things about the world too. I would change the number of blends that we have. And, just I, probably, and I
3: probably smoked two hundred to two hundred fifty of their blends. Yeah, I mean, when
4: you came, when you came to talk about the Stillwell thing, and I had like a whole leaf yeah. presentation set up. I had, you know, different examples <laughs> of different things all laid out and you showed up and you had this gigantic Pelican case with you. And you were like, Jeremy, I really appreciate what you've done here, but it's all unnecessary. Check it out. And You opened this huge Pelican case full of tins of tobacco that all had your like personal grade written on top of them. <laughs> and you already had notes about things. You would already done all of this
3: research, just buying the stuff and, and, Hadn't hadn't even well this is the beauty of it you know for the cost of a cigar you can buy a tin of tobacco yeah so I'm not reluctant to buy a tin and if I only smoke one or two bowls out of it right so what yeah what do I care of course you know I I got an hour I got two hours worth of smoking out of it I don't feel the urge ar- I don't feel like I I don't feel compelled to have to smoke all two ounces right and as a result I have a bazillion open tins like literally <laughs> hundreds and hundreds because it's not just uh, you know because it's not just the Cornell and Deal stuff that's in the Cornell and Deal portfolio, but mm-hmm. it's all the stuff in the GLPs. Yeah. It's all the stuff in—is my pronouncing correct? Drucker and Sons, mm-hmm. you make that also. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I mean, there there's a wide variety of tobaccos that are produced at Cornell and Deal for a wide variety of different companies.
0: Absolutely. Um, what's What's your take on you know a lot of states like Massachusetts, uh, a lot of towns um, are introducing flavored tobacco bans, uh-huh. which has impacted you know pipe tobacco, you know pretty significantly. <clears throat> How has that impacted Cornell and Deal you know as a as a brand and if at all and how does that lead into maybe new things that you're trying can't to wait to hear this together. answer Neither I.
4: so mm-hmm. I can tell you first of all from a manufacturing strictly standpoint it hasn't it has not impacted us at all because we're not selling direct to those those shops mm-hmm. we're not selling to those retailers that's something that is definitely felt at at the distribution level and it's certainly felt at the the online retail level where we have to actually flag products that contain vanilla or cherry or chocolate or whatever mm-hmm. and a customer from massachusetts tries to order that product and they can put it in their cart, but when they try and complete the order there's a thing pops up this is sorry can't do it right um but for Cornell and Deal, I can tell you that our production numbers have continued to increase uh, year on year, roughly 30
3: percent. Do you think that's just because consumers just gray market through states that are okay with that
4: product being
0: sold? It's definitely the that case with New Hampshire. Is,
4: that is certainly possible. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't. Yeah. I have no way of of being able to speak to that,
2: maybe.
6: burden we don't release it like retail bound. It's on the burden of the consumer they're told straight up like they're making IDC or easy to check with the local and then it is is the retailer decides like what they are were
3: doing. And also there's an argument about what's flavored and not flavored. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean <clears throat> look I can say a company like Drew Estate does not consider any other product to fall under those Massachusetts regulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the st- that's the claim they made in an affidavit to the state because you get into this concept of characterizing flavor right it's not flavor it's characterizing flavor right and and that's why also the way you say things make a difference in other words if something was to have maybe a vanilla top note to it if it isn't called vanilla cream mm-hmm. okay and if maybe that isn't the flavor that you're saying hey you buy this to smoke vanilla then maybe it's perfectly okay and these are these are arguments that are going to continue on for well into a decade into the future Mm -hmm. as to what really is considered legally flavored and legally not flavored i mean even a cigarette like marlboro marlboro i think in the disclosure has 108 ingredients Mm -hmm. i think quite a few of the ingredients are there's anise in there there's chocolate in there there's vanilla in there Mm -hmm. but do they consider marlboro cigarettes to be a flavored tobacco product they do not, you know what I mean mm-hmm. so it, it's it's much more complex than the simplistic kind of perspective that I think a lot of people take it as to be mm. yeah I would agree with that
4: i also I also think that just the consumer thinks that way sometimes about flavorings we're we're pretty forward about when a flavoring has been has been used on a blend. We oftentimes list it in in the description mm-hmm. um, and. Just like we were talking before about like oh black cavendish well that's that's an aromatic the assumption that you know black cavendish must must be the major portion of the blend when in reality it might it might be half half an ounce per pound in the blend right. um, the same thing with judicious use of flavor is something that is nearly ubiquitous across pipe tobacco brands. Mm-hmm and not just pipe tobacco brands but across lots of different tobacco products that the consumer may not consider flavored
2: mm mm-hmm.
4: um, and and so you know knowing knowing how to use those things where the flavor itself is not an overt uh filter through which everything else comes to to your palate but instead something that plays a minor role that simply accentuates things that are natural to the tobacco. Right. It's a, a totally different approach and it's something that may be opaque to the average consumer.
0: So, you know, So basically what I'm hearing you say is, you know, as a as a producer of the of the flavored tobacco, let's say to just to keep using the term, yeah. you're you're be you're producing more and more, huh. uh, it, but uh, so people are still buying it; they're getting it somewhere, right? You know, uh, obviously it's probably you know in Massachusetts, you know people are coming over the border into twins or other. Or places they're just doing it mail order. Or they're doing it mail order. Yeah, sure, yeah. or the other. It's what? not illegal to get it; it's just illegal for the <clears throat> retailer in the state to sell it. Right,
3: mm-hmm. but again, even that is up to the determination of the individual retail. Right. It's also up to the determination as to what the company filed with the state of Massachusetts as to what they consider to be flavored or not flavored. Right. Right. It's not like the state of Massachusetts came and said, oh, that's a flavored product, so therefore it's bad. That's right. It's not like Massachusetts did with like menthol cigarettes where Mm -hmm. Massachusetts said, no, menthol cigarettes are not allowed. Mm -hmm. They haven't done that when it comes to pipe tobacco or cigar tobaccos. They've just simply said, you're not allowed to sell flavored products within the state, but they don't actually say what is a flavored product and not a flavored product because nobody actually knows the answer to that question legally yet.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Now, <clears throat> that may be a good segue into the larger FDA question. You know, we recently had, um, you know, uh, court dis- court discussions where it seems like the FDA has basically had been told you've got to step back and re But only this. on premium cigars.
3: But only on only premium, on premium, premium cigars. cigars. Yeah, because see regretfully the pipe guys did not fight the same way as the cigar guys did. The pipe guys just kind of went with the FDA what the FDA wanted. Whereas the pipe where the cigar associations and the PCA and the individual manufacturers, we I mean, we pretty much had a bare knuckle fight for the last six plus years with the fda and it turned out even though a very expensive strategy it turns out it looks like it's well it doesn't look like it, it has gone our way i mean we just recently got a decision out of the Court that they consider the relate the tobacco control act regulations as it relates to premium cigars is being arbitrary and capricious right. so as of right now the question is what the final court's disposition is going to be But it's basically going to take us back to two dates it's either going to take us back to 2014 right before the fda filed any deeming regulations on premium cigars right which would force them to start over again or it'll take us all the way back to uh when the tobacco control act got passed in 2007 okay 2007 2008 and that would mean that congress would actually have to put a new law on the books and historically the way the courts have treated these decisions is to actually totally strike the entire rule where it would actually have to go back to the congress so actually precedence is currently favoring the premium cigar industry that we will probably have no regulation whatsoever but worst case scenario probably go back to the 2014 before they published any rules which would force them to completely start from 2014 to now and plus they have the last essentially If we take us back to August 8th of 20, what, March 8th of 2016, Mm -hmm. I think would be when they published those deeming rules. Um, And they also have the last year's, six years worth of fight that they would have to overcome that the courts have already determined what the FDA has done was arbitrary and capricious. So uh, the handmade cigar market is in a really, first time I can honestly say this, we're in a really, really, really good position. Regretfully, the pipe guys are not the pipe guys have they've got a much steeper hill to climb because they are they are in they are in the weeds on this one
0: all right uh Jeremy do you agree or disagree with the Saka
4: well I I I agree that we are in uh we are not included in this most recent ruling that uh that looks like yeah the premium cigar market is uh largely in the clear or may very well be largely in the clear. I disagree that we didn't do anything, but I do think that, uh, I do think that the lobby for premium cigars didn't, didn't care at all that there were other premium tobacco products that, uh, that they could have gone to bat for and chose not to. Um, we, I mean, we've, we've got legal representation. We've been involved in court battles,
3: Mm -hmm. uh, Just as much do you think part of that jeremy is the fact that you have less family owned and operated companies in the pipe segment than we do in the handmade cigar business i mean so so much of the big portion of your sales come from the big stgs of the world you know what i mean sure and they're in a much different regulatory frame framework and a thought pattern Mm. where for us We were, look, we even had that same division in our industry, right? Mm -hmm. That's the reason why we don't have Swisher and Davidoff and Altidus and STG as part of the PCA anymore. One of the reasons why. Right. Um, You know, they kind of pulled out of that whole trade show organization. So I think that, I think there were more people to fight on our end than there was on your end. Because who is there on your end? There's you guys, Cornell and Deal. And then you had, of course, you had the Frog Morton guys, McAllen's. Well, but they, they just kind of rolled up shop and said we're done. Right, and, and yep, then you have Sotol, Baron, and McBaron. McBaron. But McBaron, aren't they still kind of more in the big tobacco segment? Definitely. Right, so they're dealing with the regulatory. And again, too, when you're a European company you have a much different perspective on government regulation uh-huh. than when you're an American company, Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know what
0: right. I mean? The way, the that's way all they, the Americans are doing? Right. Okay, we'll do it. <laughs> they, they, they just, Actually, look,
4: no, I think that's different. The European regulations are uh, much more a box-checking exercise, whereas the American regulation has been really, really, really invasive.
3: But do you think eventually, even on the pipe side, and this was always my attitude about even the cigar side had not gone the way it's gone, was that eventually the Tobacco Control Act in the United States was going to come very similar to TPD2, the way it has in the EU. Mm -hmm. that it was going to become much more a paperwork Uh kind of scenario. Uh Because, I mean, you are still producing, well, look, you're producing hundreds and hundreds of blends. Sure, and we have lots
4: and lots of grandfather products. You have
3: lots and lots of grandfather products. I mean, it's much, much different. But it's very hard, I mean you don't see it's not like us where we can just open a little chinchaya and say hey i'm going to make a new cigar brand a little factory there aren't a lot yeah. of pop up pipe tobacco manufacturers no not at all
0: no but you know it was it was interesting to me that you know when the IPCPR changed its moniker to PCA mm-hmm. just premium cigar association mm-hmm. I think that had something to do with it too? Like, yeah, you know, like of course they were they just did. they yeah. were just not
2: Again paying attention. Again, part
0: to that.
3: of it is so many retailers are not pipe focused stores. That's right. It's not like it was in the seventies. Seventies the pipe portion of the business for a retailer was an equal comparable part mm-hmm. as a tobacconist. It was it was a big part in almost every shop. And you see that most of the better pipe shops around the country, they're all the legacy retailers, right? Mm-hmm. These are the ones that have the heaviest pipe focus. And as time went on, you know, pipes had never enjoyed the cigar boom, okay? And so much of that retail tobacconist landscape started slanting more and more towards cigars, more and more towards cigars. So I think when the PCA made that shift, it was really more a representation of who their retail members were. Not that there weren't some good pipe retailers in the mix, there were, but they had become not the norm Right. They have become more of the rare exception. It's the same way as it's the reason why Twins does so well with Pipe, because mm-hmm. you really don't have any real big competitors in the Pipe segment in, in no, New I mean, England.
2: No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true.
3: And I think that's part of what happened.
2: Okay.
4: It is definitely true
3: that uh,
4: smoking demographics in the United States, like, Of the total population, somewhere around the neighborhood of twelve and a half percent now, smoke tobacco of any kind, Mm -hmm. and of that twelve and a half percent, the vast majority are cigarette smokers. Then you've got uh you've got about three percent of that twelve and a half percent that is everything else, Mm -hmm. and of that three percent, the vast majority of that is Phillies and Swishers and other dry cured machine made cigar smokers and then you've got this tiny little sliver (laughs) left over of which the vast majority is premium cigars and then like kind of a a line barely visible (laughs) on your pie chart you've got
3: pipe smokers and also I think the dollars are different too look we, we we make more money manufacturing and selling cigars uh, on a per capita unit basis, than you do in pipe tobacco. Right. Even though, oddly enough, pipe tobacco actually physically costs more. Okay, when you get down to it. It's the same thing. A guy buys one cigar for $15 and he smokes it in an hour and a half. A guy spends $15 on a tin of pipe tobacco, he smokes 18 to 20 times. Yeah. Right.
0: So it's less expensive for the consumer but it's more expensive right if you look pound. at it from
3: if you look at it by the by pound rate yeah price. yes, pipe tobacco costs more than most cigar tobaccos you know but the actual contribution to the bottom line and the total dollar volume sales are much larger on the handmade cigar side and as a result more money means more more businesses that are affected means more money for litigation means our sure, sure that's totally true. you know our contribution yeah. I don't even know how do you guys get how do the FDA user fees work for you guys I mean how does that get computed
4: right user fees are according to uh market share um so yeah we uh I'm not sure what our what our user fees work out to compared to compared so to like the on an average
3: effect. cigar we've been averaging somewhere between a nickel to seven and a half cents on average depending on what the volume has been going up or down, because as you said, it's adjusted by share. Mm-hmm. Do you have any idea what the contribution is per TIN?
4: I don't. That is right. that is something that uh, I could talk to our compliance officer yeah. about, our regulatory officer, but that's not a part of, of this that
3: regularly touches my desk. Right. But I was just guessing, knowing the way that the FDA user fees are assessed based on proportion of market share we know the pipe segment is a smaller market share
2: right
3: okay so therefore i bet the cost per tin it might only be a nickel for a tin right and you get to smoke 20 times right whereas for cigars that would be a dollar to a dollar twenty in taxes
0: Mm. gotcha real interesting stuff what um what do you do for fun do you have any time to like do things for yourself i do or are you you're like constantly going from country to country looking for pipe tobacco and
4: no i uh i uh mostly have leaf dealers that i have relationships with that have farms that they contract and they know the styles of tobacco that i'm particularly interested in and so i have folks that are able to kind of scour the globe on my behalf, and really thinking about me as their as their customer. Okay. Um, so I do I do a lot of things for fun. I like to barbecue. Um, I really you know I enjoy using my smoker. I uh, before I worked at Cornell and Deal, I was a wood fired pizza baker. uh <laughs> and I have a an uni oven uh, on our back deck. I really enjoy making wood fired pizza. I know you're a gardener. I am a gardener. I know you're a beekeeper. Yep. Right. Yep. Keep ducks. Keep chickens. Uh, we. We slaughter our chickens and ducks and, uh, eat them and, uh,
2: <laughs>
4: as opposed to, I don't know what else we would do. I guess with, he'd uh, just slaughter them, right? Yeah. We raise these ducks to slaughter, right? <laughs> um yeah Jeremy's so duck killer yeah, right yeah <laughs> it's a hobby
2: yeah
3: I do it for the love
0: um <laughs> that's just foul here, really. yep,
3: which makes me go back so we were talking about the Cavendish right yeah <laughs> no this ties in hold okay. on a second all right yeah so I, think, I, think, I think I think like a very interesting blend that Cornell and deal makes is black duck yeah okay so there's an example of a Cavendish tobacco that I would not consider to be a traditional aromatic. Well, it's not an aromatic. Exactly, at all. not an aromatic at all, but yet it's a Cavendish tobacco. Right. Right. Black duck. And it happens to be a super creamy, super smooth smoke, mm-hmm. real easy going, great mouthfeel. It's got a really nice taste to it. So yeah, so is. for those consumers that think, oh, all black cavendish is bad all black cavendish is this sure. well get a tin of black duck and, and smoke that it, is and delicious. it gives you a mm. totally different perspective on what black cavendish can be
4: that's right i use black cavendish kind of like uh the function that flour plays when you make a roux and then build a stock on it right right right. Uh, right. you know the 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 function that black cavendish has of absorbing flavors around it and spreading Mm -hmm. those flavors out and kind of giving those flavors body and depth Mm -hmm. without contributing strength or much of its own flavor um it can it can really have the same function as as you know having a nice thick stock but you've got all these different flavor components that come together that if the stock was thin it would just go straight down your throat and it wouldn't have any sticking power and you'd miss out on it but because there's some viscosity to it it sticks to your palate and you experience those flavors as they build Um, Cavendish I often use in blends that I wouldn't consider aromatic at all just because it can serve this function
0: so we're coming up on the uh end of the second half here what's what's our final verdict here on the uh, uh pipe tobacco here
5: I think it paired beautifully Um, I got a lot of that warmness out of the bourbon with the pipe tobacco. Again, I'm tasting a lot of, like, warm cinnamon, almost like hot smileys, you know. Oh, yeah. It's very good. Pat?
6: Yeah, it was, uh, consistent. As it got towards the end of the bowl, I was getting a lot more spice on the retrohale. So, and again, everyone knows on the show that I'm a big fan of, like, that spice in the pipe tobacco. That's why, like, Perique is, like, my favorite. That's why the Bayou is typically my favorite. Um still well although the english is kind of catching up now but um yeah it was really enjoyable pairing as well
0: how about you brie
1: i'm gonna have to agree i think um shell kind of like took the words out of my mouth with the hot tamale thing <laughs> 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 um it's kind of interesting i'm getting um a little more of a uh subtle like cognac sweetness uh, between the pipe tobacco and the bourbon um the pipe tobacco itself I think that um like that fire cured element really came through towards the end of the bowl um, like every puff that you were taking uh, just kind of added a little bit more intensity um I think this is like a nice bowl um where you can kind of puff on it for a while put it down come back to it and uh, the intensity just kind of keeps building from there um So I I definitely got a lot of that spice as well, um, combined with that, like, mesquite sweetness.
0: Mm -hmm. Did Kaz do a good job of uh, keeping you pipe? He did.
1: He's still employed. He's still my um, official hired professional (laughs) pipelette. Great news. Uh, He's been promoted. Okay.
4: (laughs) What's his new title? What what has he been promoted to? We're
0: working on that. Okay. (laughs) Pipe Squire.
1: Yes, pipes fire. much <laughs> nicer than what I was thinking.
3: I was thinking pipe fetch. <laughs> I don't know why.
1: He's now the fire manager. <laughs> the
0: fire boss. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, guys, thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, was thank really you for discussion. Much. We'd love to have you guys back at some point. I know Jeremy's coming back next year. Mm-hmm. You might you might you might come back maybe i'd love to come back you'd love to come back
3: I'd love to come for the first time i, I missed all the event stuff <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: well you were, you were you were we're just glad you're feeling better man yeah yeah hey uh, next tuesday we'll be back on our regular night and time we're going to be looking at the uh animal cracker 550 and burly flake number five right. which i believe is one of your
3: blends it is
0: And uh, so that'll be a real interesting, especially after meeting Jeremy here. Thanks for being with us tonight. Hope you all had a great time and come on back next week. We'll see you then. You've been listening to Not Just Blowing Smoke, the podcast that brings the wealth of knowledge, expertise, and fun of Twins Smoke Shop, New England's premier smoke shop, right to you, wherever you are, whenever you want it. You can find us at our website, notjustblowingsmoke.com, and keep in touch with us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram at Just Blowing Smoke. Thanks for listening, everybody. And that is Not Just Blowing Smoke. Rolling with the
2: top down on a